You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Lazarus Group seems interested in learning from, by which they mean stealing from, some of the world's leading state-sponsored cyber operators. Void Bilar remains an enigma, but it's the only player in the C2C market. CISA and the FBI warn all, but especially critical infrastructure operators, to remain alert during the holidays. Some scammers are impersonating the US SEC. Dinah Davis from Arctic Wolf on what security gifts to get your family this year. Our guest today is Carol Terrio on online gaming during the pandemic. And cyber attacks are reported on an airline, a utility, and a manufacturer of wind turbines. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Trey Hester with your CyberWire summary for Monday, November 22nd, 2021. In an apparent effort to up its offensive security game, the Daily Beast reports, North Korea's Lazarus Group is fishing Chinese security researchers. It's not clear whether they've enjoyed any success, according to researchers at security firm CrowdStrike, which tracks the Lazarus Group as Stardust Kolima, but they appear to be interested in obtaining zero days in particular. Quote, for vulnerability research in particular, that would be interesting. It, in effect, allows you to collect and steal weapons that you can use for other operations. It can also give them insight into new techniques they're not aware of and how research is being conducted. End quote. CrowdStrike's vice president of research, Adam Myers, told the Daily Beast, quote, It also lets you know what the security posture looks like in other countries. End quote. CrowdStrike reads the campaign as aimed at obtaining new attack tools that can be used for the financially motivated hacks Pyongyang uses to address the pariah regime's chronic fiscal shortfalls. The phishing techniques themselves are nothing out of the ordinary, either the threat group actors in general or the Lazarus group in particular. But they are interesting in that they seek to instill the kind of urgency social engineers seek to induce in their victims. The lures in this case aim at making the recipients uneasy, rushed, and fearful. They warn of urgent tasks, they reference sensitive information about the recipient, or they represent themselves as coming from the boss, and what, after all, is scarier than that? The Lazarus Lures, which referenced Chinese government security authorities, were designed for Chinese security experts. Quote, In China, generally any email coming from any governmental sounding body is considered the highest priority for any individual in the country. End quote. Vikram Thacker, a technical director at Symantec, told the Daily Beast, quote, If a researcher gets a technical-sounding email from the government, 
the chances of that researcher clicking on the lure is extremely high. End quote. If you're an active or aspiring criminal, you could develop your own tools, steal them, as the Lazarus Group seems to be doing, or you could buy them. The Rocket Hack Group, which security firm Trend Micro researchers have been tracking as Void Bilar, is shaping up as an increasingly important player in the C2C market, CSO writes in an overview of the gang. Void Bilar is unusual in that it both advertises in Russophone criminal circles and hits Russian targets, which is an uncommon combination. CSO speculates about the possibility that Void Bilar has succeeded in compromising insiders at various Russian enterprises, but that of course remains speculation. The targets they've been prospecting don't suggest any particular agenda beyond straightforward criminal financial gain. It will be interesting to see how long they remain in business until the authorities shut them down. It's Thanksgiving weekend in the U.S., and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, CISA, and the FBI have issued a joint advisory reminding organizations, and in particular their critical infrastructure partners, to be especially vigilant during the holiday season. Organizations should be in a heightened state of alert for phishing scams and fraudulent sites spoofing reputable businesses. It is possible malicious actors will target sites often visited by users doing their holiday shopping online and unencrypted financial transactions. They advise organizations to review their response plans and remind them that CISA has made playbooks available that should be helpful in keeping those plans up to snuff. CISA has also issued an infrastructure dependency primer intended to help state and local governments in particular improve their resilience by understanding and planning for the ways in which dependencies shape risk. What do we mean by dependencies? If you're not familiar with the concept, CISA offers this brief account, quote, Dependencies are relationships of reliance within and among infrastructure assets and systems that must be maintained for those systems to operate and provide services. End quote. Dependencies can be unidirectional or bidirectional, and they often cross functional and jurisdictional boundaries, which make them easier to overlook than one might wish. In any case, if you're reviewing your response plans, consider taking a look at CISA's primer. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission warned late Friday of spoofed communications that appear to come from the SEC, but in fact originate with scammers. The communications arrive in many modalities, including phone calls, voicemails, emails, and even old-school physical letters. The caution they offer is familiar, but, unfortunately, as always, worth remembering. Quote, SEC staff do not make unsolicited communications, including phone calls, voicemail messages, or emails, asking for payments related to enforcement actions, offering to confirm trades, or seeking detailed personal and financial information. Be skeptical if you are contacted by someone claiming to be from the SEC and asking about your shareholdings, account numbers, PIN numbers, passwords, or other information that can be used to access your financial accounts. End quote. Apply the same caution to calls that claim to be from other agencies, especially if the phone call has all the background noise you'd expect from someone phoning it in from a low-rent boiler room. And finally... There were several criminal cyber attacks over the weekend that deserve mention. Mahan Air, Iran's largest private airline, said that they successfully stopped an attack on what it characterized as internal systems. Bloomberg reports that Mahan's website went offline for a while Sunday, but the domestic flights continued without disruption. In this case, text messages claimed responsibility for the attack. 
a group calling itself the Observance of Fatherland, claimed that they were behind the incident, which they represented as a reprisal against Mahan Air for cooperating with Iran's Revolutionary Guards. The text said, according to the Daily Sabah, quote, Cyber attack against Mahan for complicity by the terrorist Guardians Corps. End quote. There was no evidence provided in support of the claim, and just two of the observants of the fatherland might be hacktivists or a deniable cat's paw for hostile intelligence services remains unknown. Riviera Utilities told Fox 10 News on Friday that its email systems were under attack. The Alabama utility said that no other systems were affected and that operations continued normally. And Vestas, the world's largest manufacturer of wind turbines, disclosed that it sustained what Reuters describes as, quote, a cybersecurity incident and has shut down its IT systems across multiple business units and locations to contain the issue, end quote. The incident took place on November 19th, but beyond that, Vestas has provided little in the way of details. The company is investigating, working to restore its systems, and is cooperating with law enforcement. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Our UK correspondent, Carol Terrio, joins us to discuss online gaming during the pandemic. So when I was a kid... We had a ColecoVision as a gaming console. 
and us three kids would save up our allowances from summer jobs like mowing the lawn or weeding the garden to buy games like Pac-Man and Donkey Kong. And we only had two handsets, so you can imagine the fights we had and the deals we made to get extra time with the controller. Like, we loved playing. But as we only had a single television for us all to share, we were naturally limited to how often we could play. I mean, The Muppet Show or Magnum P.I. or Moonlighting took precedence, obviously. Now we all have our own devices, and that gives us unlimited access to all manner of online gaming. Now we can game during commutes, in bed before we sleep and after we wake, even during toilet breaks. And we all took to gaming like fish to water. We fit it around our lives. School, work, the gym, hobbies, outings with friends, family. But my, oh my, did the pandemic change things. No real surprise, most of us faced some pretty strict lockdowns, meaning you had to find some distraction somewhere. And online gaming welcomed millions of new players and saw existing players play tons more. The University of Glasgow published a report in May on the impact of the pandemic on online gaming. Pre-pandemic, 10% of those that took part in this research played several times a day. Post-outbreak, that number skyrocketed to 40%. But the research reveals that overall the impacts of gaming were positive on the subjects. Gaming seemed to provide stress relief through escape. It allowed people to socialize in a way that did not contravene the rules. It is a welcome distraction from the news. There's a feeling of control within the context and confines of the game. Something that we were all missing when news was coming out every day about the pandemic. Now, the University of Glasgow just looked at adults. But what about kids? According to National Geographic, it seems the findings were the same. Pre-pandemic, most kids in the United States were already clocking in at least an hour a day on games. With Roblox and Minecraft among the most popular for kids. But with schools closed and in-person socializing limited, those numbers exploded. Quote, the Pew Research Center of Internet and Technology found that video games are a major venue for creation and maintenance of friendships, especially for boys. According to the study, more than half teens made new online friends and a third of them came through video games. So why has China further restricted access to online gaming for kids and teens to one hour a day on weekends and holiday evenings? The Chinese administration said, according to the New York Times, quote, recently many parents have reported that game addiction among some youths and children is seriously harming their normal study, life, and mental and physical health. So is online gaming good for kids? I think only time will tell. But gosh, ask any parent or adult living alone during the pandemic. I suspect they'll say that online gaming was a lifesaver. I mean, why not ask the kids and teens in your immediate circle? How many of them could cope with just a few hours a week access to online gaming platforms or services? I bet many a jaw will drop. In fact, I bet many would offer to eat plain gruel every morning then have to give up their online gaming practices. Feel free to tweet us their answers. This was Carol Terrio for The Cyberwire.
And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dinah Davis. She is VP of R&D Operations at Arctic Wolf and also the founder and editor-in-chief at Code Like a Girl. Dinah, it is always great to have you back. You know, we're coming up on the holiday season here, and I know uh, for me personally, there's nothing I like to have in my Christmas stocking than some sort of security gift. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you and I could go over... uh, how to be the most popular person in your family. Uh, what sort of security gifts do you have in mind this year? I can help you be that person this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, terrific. But, but Go I on. Think, I mean, I mean, security is important, and I think we do want to help, gently help our friends and family improve their security, right? So, so sure. there's a couple things that we can do. You can gift uh, someone a password manager subscription. That might be great for hmm. your parents, they may not want to spend the money on that or understand the value in it, right. but it is quite important and you can help them with that. Another one is, especially maybe for your teens, a webcam cover. They may huh. not realize how often people could actually see what they're doing and maybe they don't want that. Well, we should you know, be helping them understand that they don't necessarily right. want right. that. And then another one, which is it's security related, but not cybersecurity related, is an RFID blocking wallet. You know, it's really easy. Think about all the like the tap and pay that happens today. It's would not be hard for people to get close enough to your wallet if they know where it is and and bring up a device and do a tap and pay from your your Visa card, right? You can get really nice ones now. Like I have a beautiful RFID wallet from Fossil. I'm I'm just saying you don't have to get something ugly. <laughs> right, right. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I mean, I I suppose you could uh, make sure that everybody gets a YubiKey in their stocking this year. But uh, I guess that part of the downside is for those of us who give out those sort of gifts. I'm, I'm thinking of the password manager, for example. That also puts you on the hook for being tech support, right? Yes, but you were going to be tech support anyway. <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's, there's no getting away from that. There's no getting away no. from that. If you have cybersecurity professionals in your life, then then what you must do is you must buy them a kitschy mug for Christmas. It, it it's it's a it's a must. You know, like Yoda be Yoda best cybersecurity and expert or hacking <laughs> cheat sheet on a mug or something uh-huh. like that. Uh huh. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. I saw one for my uh, my caveat co-host, Ben Yellen. I saw a mug that had the names of all of the great uh, Supreme Court cases. You know, that's perfect for him, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's all kinds of stuff out there today. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, good ideas, thoughtful gifts as always. Dinah Davis, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It will save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Brandon Karp, Puru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, 
And I'm Trey Hester, filling in for Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.